0: Well, good morning, uh, welcome to Bayview Glen Church again, my name is Lucas Cooper, I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we have a lot to cover this morning, so we're just going to get right into it, and I'll just give you a heads up in advance, I'm probably going to go long, just so you can start to plan your day. Um As I plan my preaching calendar each year, I do a couple of things. I pray first, then I seek counsel from others, from elders and other folks that I trust here in our our congregation, and then I uh, I build out the kind of the big teaching topics for the year. And once I kind of have the big topics down, I schedule a few Sundays that aren't connected with a specific series, but give me an opportunity to address particular needs in our church. And so today... And next Sunday, that's what I'm going to do. We're going to talk about two things that I believe God has impressed upon my heart as your pastor and even on the heart of our elders uh, here at Bayview Glen Church. And And we're starting today with a passage of scripture that uh, will likely be familiar to most of you even if you're not a church person uh, this passage will be familiar and and I can assure you that when you understand the richness of what's going on in the passage it will come along come alive in a new way and the reason that we're starting here is because I have observed a great deal of heartache in our congregation lately. Heartache and heartbreak that isn't a result of poor life choices. You know, I made a bad choice and now I'm dealing with the consequences. Not that kind of heartbreak and heartache, but just the heartbreak and heartache that comes along with being on this planet. Things like friends moving away, the loss of a spouse, uh, miscarriages or pregnancies hoped for that never were, loneliness, illness, The loss of a parent, wayward children, mental illness, frustration at work, all kinds of heartbreak and heartache. And I sense that our church needs the kind of comfort that only our Heavenly Father can offer to us. And so my goal today as your pastor is to speak God's comfort to you to the best of my ability. And I can think of no better passage to bring comfort to our souls than Psalm 23. The passage is so rich that we only have time to deal with the first four verses, or I would preach for 90 minutes. So that's all we're going to do is the first four. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm 23. If not, that's okay. You can use the Bible in the seat back in front of you. The scripture, as always, is up here on the screen. David, in Psalm chapter 23, writes this. He writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Heavenly Father, we need your comforting grace today. There are men and women and families and marriages in this room that are broken and in pain. Hurting, longing, lonely, disconnected. They feel forgotten about. And God, there is no comfort like you. There is no hope like you. There is no joy like you. So God, we pray and invite your healing grace today as we talk about this passage in Psalm chapter 23. Spirit of God, move among us today in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's a classic tale of a young couple that falls in love under rather peculiar circumstances. You see, the young man was in love with a young woman who did not feel the same for him. But like most impetuous young men do, he did not take no for an answer. So he crashed a party where she was in attendance. And while at the party, he locked eyes with a different woman and immediately lost all affection for Rosaline. A new young love was born. The trouble is that that young man, Romeo Montague, and his new love, Juliet Capulet, were members of families that had been warring for generations. The Montagues hated the Capulets, and the Capulets hated the Montagues. Romeo and Juliet were indeed doomed from the start. There's a moment in William Shakespeare's story where Juliet associates her last name and Romeo's last name with the long-standing conflict between those families that keeps them apart, and as a result, she famously laments their names. She laments in this way, and I'm going to do my best Shakespearean impression here. I can't, I can't do it. I, it. I it. I just have to read it. I just have to read it. I'm sorry. No one would have wanted that. Oh, be some other name, says Juliet. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, so Romeo would, were he not Romeo called. Retain that dear perfection, which he own without that title. Romeo, doff thy name, and for that name which is no part of thee, take all myself. That was intense teenage angst long before the vampire stories that you read about. And despite that teenage angst and despite her quite sincere lament, there is an unfortunate answer to Juliet's question, what's in a name? In this particular case, my young Juliet, everything. (laughs) Everything is in a name. And she knew it. Her family, her history, her character, her associations, her destiny, all represented by her name. And I am quite certain that Juliet had no idea how biblical her lament really was. Because biblically speaking, names are even more significant than they would have been for these two star-crossed lovers. Abraham, or Abram became Abraham. Jacob became Israel. Saul became Paul. Cephas became Peter. And on and on it goes. New names in the Bible represent a transformed character, new passion, and changed destiny. The Old Testament in particular uses many titles for God. God Almighty, Most High God, Lord. But just as your name is not human being. It's what you are. It's your title. Those are not the names of God. Those are titles of God, not his name. But in Exodus 3, the one true God, the everlasting God reveals his name and the Old Testament uses his name more than 6,500 times, far more than any other moniker for God. God's name is a derivative of the Hebrew word to be. So when God reveals his name, he's saying, I am who I am. I am the self-existent one. I am ever expressing what I already am. My grace, my justice, my power, my sovereignty, my holiness, all wrapped up in my name, Yahweh. Yahweh. And just as it did for Romeo and Juliet, for Abraham, Israel, Paul, and Peter, God's name represented his work in history, his purpose, his associations, his power, his character, his passion, and his destiny. More than any title, his name, Yahweh, holds it all. And just as we sang, there is power in that wonderful name. Now you might think this is quite a long introduction for a sermon on Psalm 23, and perhaps it is. But when David sat down to write these words, the Lord is my shepherd, he had a whole lot of options for that word there. He had a whole lot of options that he could have picked from in terms of titles for God, but he didn't. He chose Yahweh, and he did it on purpose the name of God, the one who is and was and is to come, the one who formed the sun and moon and stars, the one who formed me from the dust of the ground, the one who redeemed his people from slavery, the all-knowing one, the everlasting one, the eternal one, the high and exalted one, the ever-present one, the only wise one, the righteous one, yes, that one, Yahweh, he is my shepherd. It would have caught the original reader off guard to say the very least that Yahweh was anyone's shepherd. (laughs) You see, shepherds were not exactly young, upwardly mobile professionals in the ancient Near East. They were riffraff, rapscallions, scalawags, outcasts, cowboys, troublemakers. No kidding, shepherds were probably akin to modern hell's angels. No Hebrew father would want to hear his daughter say, oh, father... Father, I've fallen in love with a shepherd. (laughs) No father would have wanted to hear that. But David, David says that Yahweh is his shepherd. I find this fascinating because I often think of David the king or David the Goliath slayer or David the songwriter. And too quickly I forget that before he was David the anything, he was David the shepherd probably more likely his name would have been omitted so he would have just been shepherd boy. He too, the author of the psalm, was an outcast. Having been the outcast, having been the youngest of eight brothers who was forgotten and not even called into his father's house by the prophet Samuel when he summoned all the sons of Jesse, now in Psalm 23, David is helping us envision God in the same way. Moreover, the Hebrew word for shepherd here is roi, it's it's derived from the word for friend or even the verb to watch. David was a friend of the flock, he was a watcher of lambs, so he knows exactly what this means. A shepherd was not simply an animal manager, he was a caretaker, a protector, and an overseer. David wants us to see Yahweh in the same way, as a shepherd. And why would David begin his metaphor here? He wants us to know that almighty God identifies with and watches over the brokenhearted. Almighty God identifies with and watches over the brokenhearted. Listen so close now. In his son Jesus, God has experienced every pain, hurt, trial, and difficulty that you experience. The creator... Became the brokenhearted in Jesus so he understands, he identifies with you. Let's just give it a shot, shall we? Have you been betrayed by your closest friends? Jesus was. Have you been rejected by those you love and care for? Jesus was. Have you had children despise you and make self-destructive choices? Our Heavenly Father has. Have you lost someone close to you in death? Jesus did. Have you lost a child? God did. Have you lost a parent? Jesus did. Have you felt the sting of the cold, the pangs of hunger, and the anxiety associated with having no place to lay your head? Jesus did. Have you ever lived under a tyrannical and abusive leader? Jesus did. Have you been labeled by the world around you as unlovable and unattractive? Jesus was. Do you feel like an outsider in a place that you're supposed to be at home? Jesus felt that way. Do you struggle daily with overwhelming grief? Jesus did. Does your body ache because you're working hard to resist temptation? Jesus felt that. Have you ever lost your best friend and only supportive family member to death? Jesus did. And on and on it goes. And before we understand God's tender care for us as a shepherd, we have to start here. There is no pain, no hurt, no loneliness, no longing that you experience that God does not understand. He gets it, he's been through it, and he can identify with you. Yahweh is your shepherd. And not only that, as your shepherd, he he watches over you. He understands you. He cares for you. He loves you. Nothing slips through his providential fingers. Nothing, and I do mean nothing, happens in your life that the shepherd does not see. Like the hymn writer says, I know he watches me. The Lord is my shepherd. And for that reason, because Yahweh is my shepherd, David says, I don't lack anything. I lack nothing. I shall not want. Literally translated, nothing I lack. Because Yahweh is my shepherd. Let's keep going. How does God shepherd those he loves? David continues this way. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, if you just kind of read this at face value, it sounds very elegant, doesn't it? So pastoral and so controlled. You picture a lamb kind of laying down in a green pasture. But that's not the verb that David is using here. Are there any dog lovers in the room? Anybody love your dog? Love your dog? Love somebody else's dog? That's shameful, isn't it? It's like you're living vicariously through someone else's dog. I've got friends that way, actually. I love my dog. She's the best 75 pound lap dog I know. Uh, If you're a dog lover like I am, the verb that David is using here in Psalm 23, this will make total sense to you. If I tell my dog to lie down, she's a bit rigid, a bit controlled. She sits, and then she puts her paws down in front of her, and she slowly lowers her stomach to the ground. Uh, Sometimes when she's resting, she'll curl up on the couch or on the bed, but then there are moments. Moments where she feels the most safe, the most comfortable, where she really, really lets her guard down. I'll walk into our bedroom, and I'll see my dog on her back, legs up in the air, completely sprawled out on the bed. It looks like this. I I understand that that is not very ladylike, I get that, but it's very, very comfortable, I'm sure. This is the picture that David is giving us here in Psalm chapter 23. That verb, lie down, he makes me lie down in green pastures, is much closer to the verb, sprawl out. This is what God does for us. This is what the good shepherd does for us. He frees us. It's up here on the screen. My shepherd frees me. But here's what we're going to do today. We're going to own some of these truths together and not just read them on a screen. We're, just, we're actually going to speak them together out loud so they take root in our soul. So would you say this with me? My shepherd frees me. Say it with me. My shepherd frees me. One more time. My shepherd frees me. With almighty God as your shepherd, you can be completely vulnerable. God's tender care as your faithful shepherd allows you to completely disclose who you are. You can spiritually and emotionally sprawl out in the presence of the Good Shepherd. You can be free and honest with him. You don't have to hide. You don't have to fear judgment. You can find freedom and grace in the presence of the Good Shepherd. Keep reading. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. He leads me beside quiet waters. Uh, Shepherding is a bit of an odd profession, even among those who are responsible for managing herds and flocks, because shepherds do something unique that not any other herdsman does. They walk out front of their flock rather than behind their flock. In other words, shepherds do not force or coerce. They gently lead. They are the first to pass through treacherous terrain. They walk ahead of their sheep in order to protect them from predators. And they do all of this with, a, with just their voice or with an instrument. I spoke to a friend this week that told me a story of being mesmerized for an hour in the hills outside of Jerusalem, watching a shepherd just with a flute walk around playing his flute, and the sheep would just follow the sound of the flute. Perhaps David would have used his harp. So here's what David is telling us about our relationship with the good shepherd. He's saying, my shepherd leads me. My shepherd leads me. Say this with me. My shepherd leads me. In our case, Jesus says in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now listen, he does not coerce. He does not demand. He walks out ahead and gently calls to us. He leads, we follow. And the good shepherd lovingly leads us, beside quiet waters. Literally, the word there for quiet waters is water that is at rest, still, or composed. So when the waters of trouble, anxiety, and grief are rising in your life, our heavenly shepherd gently calls us and leads us to pools of rest. Yes, the perilous river of grief and doubt may be rising, but you, my friend, have a good shepherd, Yahweh, Follow his voice, and he will lead you to a place of quiet rest where you can drink from a pool that will quench your deepest thirst. And when I am sprawled out and drinking safely from a quiet pool, David tells me that Yahweh restores my soul. So my shepherd restores me. Say it with me. My shepherd restores me. One more time. My shepherd restores me. Again, let's do the language work here. I know we're doing a lot of Hebrew this morning, but let's do the language work here because it helps us understand how rich uh, this passage really is. That word restore can be translated return or even answer. And the word there for life can be translated breath. So I don't know about you, but there have been a few moments in my life where grief or anxiety or stress or doubt seemed to take my breath away. Have you ever felt that? When tragedy struck and you weren't sure how you would go on. Maybe there have been times where you called out and no one seemed to answer. It was as if you shouted your deepest needs into an abyss and they just disappeared. But then there was Yahweh. The one who identifies with you and watches over you and befriends you. And when your heart calls out, he listens. He echoes every word back to you and understand. He answers your soul. He responds to you and restores your life. The good shepherd can and does do so. When every ounce of your life feels sapped from you, God can restore. He can heal. He can bring life. He can restore marriages, spirits, emotions, families, minds, hearts, and relationships. The good shepherd can and does restore our soul. And then he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now we're back to names, aren't we? Back to names. Remember what we said about names? Names represent character, purpose, destiny, vision. For the sake of his character, for the sake of his goodness, for the sake of his reputation and his purpose in the world, the good shepherd leads us in paths of righteousness. Side note, I'm so glad he doesn't do it for my name's sake, aren't you? I'm so glad he doesn't do it for your namesake because I get caught in doubt sometimes. I feel like I'm up and down sometimes. Fatigue sets in, confusion sets in, but all the while the name of Yahweh remains consistent and faithful. His name is sure and he leads us for his namesake. Continue reading, verse four. David writes this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Stop there. This psalm is often read in situations where death is imminent or even has already taken place. You may have heard this psalm read in hospital rooms, in palliative care, in funerals, in memorial service. And I I can think of no better passage to read than this passage right here on those occasions. However... Because of the reference to death, we tend to limit this psalm's application to only those situations. But the reality is that these words here, of death, do not appear in the original language. They're they're not there in the Hebrew. David literally writes this, Even though I walk through the shadowed valley... But that word for shadow here is more than a person's silhouette that casts a shadow on a late summer afternoon. The original word, valley of the shadow, carries with it the implication of a deep, dark, gloomy shadow as dark as death. Hence the reason why the translators added it. So I'm not disputing the translation here. I think that's the right word to help us capture what David is getting at in the original language. But let's not confuse it. There are shadowed valleys in our lives that involve far more than physical death, aren't there? The death of a dream, the death of a marriage, the death of a hope, the death of expectations, the death of a relationship, and all of those deaths can create a deep, dark, gloomy shadow. But just as an object stands in the path of the sun's rays and casts a shadow, there are inevitable dark moments in our lives that can stand between us and the light that is Yahweh. And the face of God becomes obscured by pain or grief or sadness or longing, and we traverse through the valley of death's dark shadow. But listen closely, friends. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Just because the sun is obscured by an object that casts a shadow does not mean the sun has disappeared. You got it? You with me? Just because there's an object between you and the sun and it casts a shadow, if you think the sun went away, you're Looney Tunes. That's not what it means when we traverse through the valley of death's dark shadow either. Just because there are moments in our lives where we feel like God is absent, it does not mean that he is. So David says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Say it with me, for you are with me. For you are with me. Here's what he's telling us. My shepherd never leaves me. Can you say it with me and own it? My shepherd never leaves me. Perhaps you are are in a shadowed valley right now. Perhaps the events in your life have obscured the face of God and you can't see him in the midst of your circumstances. Perhaps it feels like the shadow of death is going to overtake you. May I just speak the words of the good shepherd to you? Fear no evil. For what? I am with you. Your heavenly Father, though obscured, is still there. He is present. He never leaves. Perhaps he is blocked by death's shadow, but you, as his beloved, can fear no evil, for he is with you every step of the way. The next words that David writes in this psalm are really fascinating, but easily misunderstood. Look up here on the screen. This is what he writes. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the ancient Near East, each shepherd carried two items, a staff and a rod. You see, unfortunately, sheep aren't terribly smart animals. So when Jesus compares us to sheep, it's not exactly a compliment. It's beside the point. Um, Sheep wander off into the thicket and get caught. They attempt to traverse steep cliffs in search of greener grass. You ever tried to traverse a steep cliff in search of greener grass? Pick up the metaphor, come on now. They put themselves in danger. They get stuck in rivers, all kinds of stuff. And the shepherd often needed to rescue his not-so-intelligent sheep. So each shepherd carried a staff. It's up here on the screen. It was a long stick with a crook on the end, and it served one purpose and one purpose only, rescuing sheep. That's all it's for. Interestingly, the shepherd's staff could not have been used by any other herdsman because it was shaped specifically for sheep. You couldn't rescue goats or cattle or whatever else. You could only rescue sheep. It was shaped just for sheep. So picture this with me. Understand this. The shepherd is ever clinging to an object that was designed to do one thing and one thing only. Rescue dumb sheep. He knows it. He plans for it. He expects it. Sheep sometimes need rescuing. So here's what David wants us to know about God. My shepherd rescues me. My shepherd rescues me. Anybody ever been bailed out of something by God? You ever been rescued by God? My shepherd rescues me. Own it, say it with me. My shepherd rescues me. Picture it this way. It's as if Yahweh's mighty right arm is shaped just for you. It's as if it's shaped just for you. And get this, I I don't know why this brings comfort to me today. You know, it's like sometimes these things pop out in my messages that I talk about, just unique. Okay, listen, he knows I'm going to need rescue on occasion. He already knows. And he's carrying a staff just for those moments. Isn't that neat? He knows you're going to need rescue on occasion. He knows you and I are sheep. Once again, that's not exactly a compliment. But because he's our good shepherd, we can cry out to him when we're in danger, when we're caught, and when we're in need of rescue. And we find comfort in the fact that just as a shepherd carried a staff for one reason only, our heavenly Father is ready and able to rescue us in any and all circumstances, even if we got ourselves there. The second tool that every shepherd carried was a rod. That's why David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I actually brought one with me this morning, believe it or not. Um, this was David's rod, of course, when he was a young boy. That's not true. That's not, go, don't, don't go tell your friends, I think he had David's rod. That's not true. I got this from a friend who visited a Maasai warrior tribe. They're uh, agrarian people and, and shepherds um, in Kenya, Africa. And remember, these agrarian cultures, they really haven't changed. They've remained consistent over miles and over time. So this isn't exactly what a shepherd's rod would have looked like, but it is very, very close to what a shepherd's rod would have looked like. Now, I've often heard people say that the shepherd's rod represents discipline. It would be the way that he chastised his sheep, right, and moved them along. But, but listen close now. We've already learned that shepherds did not drive their sheep, did they? They didn't whack them from behind to get them to move where they wanted them to move. They walked out front and led them. Furthermore, shepherds treated their sheep like family. They knew their sheep so well. So punishment really wasn't a part of the repertoire. So the the rod wasn't meant to drive sheep, it wasn't meant to punish sheep, so why the rod? Well, the rod served two purposes. First, the rod was a protective measure when predators approached the sheep. Rods were fashioned out of extremely dense and hard wood. I'll leave this on the stage afterwards, you can come feel how dense and hard this is, and then let your kids play with it and whack each other, it'd be great, it'd be a lot of fun. It's like no legal liability at all on our part, okay? You, you do what you want to do. So, so these, the shepherd's rod, because it was so hard and dense, would have maximum impact on a predator. So in 1 Samuel 17, when David tells Saul that a predator approached his sheep and he overtook him and killed him, this is likely the object that he would have used, the shepherd's rod. But the rod also served another purpose. Now get this, because th- this will blow your mind. Ready? It's up here on the screen. It's Leviticus chapter 23, I think, chapter 27, verse 32. It says, every tithe of herd and flock, that's that's sheep now, every tenth animal that passes under what? The shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. What's happening here? The sheep are being counted. The sheep are being counted. Every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, I won't do that ten times. Every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, the sheep are being counted. Several Old Testament scholars that I read this week actually argued that the primary use for the shepherd's rod was counting sheep. But this was far more than counting. It was an accounting for. And the shepherd could account for his sheep because he knew each and every one of them so very well. I actually read a story this week of a shepherd near Bethlehem. Uh, This is in this century, by the way, that experienced a kerfluffle in his flock in the middle of the night. And suddenly he had a hundred mama sheep that were separated from their lambs. He knew those mothers and lambs so well that he reunited over a hundred lambs with their mothers that had been separated on a pitch black night now simply by matching the tone of their cries. He could hear the baby and he'd go, I know where you belong and I know where you belong. And I hear the mom cry, "I I know where you belong and I know where you belong. Shepherds know their sheep. Not only that, did you know that shepherds had names for their sheep? Their sheep were more than pets, they were more than commodities, their sheep were family. Hours and days and weeks spent on Judean hillsides with just sheep. The shepherd knew the sheep's personality, their propensities, the way they thought and behaved, and he called them by name with his shepherd's rod. David wants us to see Yahweh that same way. Look up here on the screen. My shepherd calls me by name. My shepherd calls me by name. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to say it out loud together in a minute. But I don't want this to be just something we repeat because it's up here on the screen. Look at it. Look at it just for a minute. Up here on the screens. up here on the TV, look at it. Let it sink in. So when we say it together, we're going to own it. Let it percolate in your heart. Let it take root. Say it with me. My shepherd calls me by name. Remember our biblical answer to young Juliet's question? What's in a name? Everything. Everything is in a name. So when the good shepherd calls you by name, he's not just using it to get your attention. Remember what we established now. Everything is in your name, your hopes, your dreams, your hurts, your longings, your purpose, your history, your destiny, your triumph, and your trial. Biblically speaking, it's all wrapped up in your name, and the good shepherd knows it all, and he calls you by name. So when the Bible says in Revelation that Jesus has written your name down in his life book, it's not just your name, oh no, it's all that your name represents, your hopes, your dreams, your hurts, your longings, your purpose, your history, your destiny, all of it, the greatest shepherd with the greatest name calls you by yours. And that's good news. That's good news from the scripture today. As we conclude our time together this morning, we're gonna do uh, something that we typically don't do around here, but we do it on occasion. And so uh, what we're going to do is invite in a moment, I'm going to have them stay put right now, but we're going to invite some prayer partners to come forward. You guys can stay where you're at right now. And uh, usually we would have prayer partners available at the end of the service. This is just people that want to pray for you. They're, They're not here to give you advice. They're not here to talk all this stuff through with you. You just come forward and say, hey, would you pray for me? And you can just say, would you pray for me? And they'll pray for you. You can say, would you pray for me about such and such or so and so? And they'll pray for you. And typically we have that at the end of the service, but today we're going to do it as part of our corporate worship time. And anyone and everyone, even if you're not a regular tender here, can come forward. I know it's a little bit awkward and you got to stand and go, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, and all that stuff. But let's just kind of get all of that out of our heads right now. Because one of the best ways that the Good Shepherd brings comfort and healing and restoration and grace in and through, is in and through the body of Christ. It's us for one another. As we pray for one another, we can be the good shepherd's healing grace poured out on one another. Does that make sense to you? That's why he's given us each other. And so Jeff is just gonna come up and pray and our prayer partner's gonna come up and then I'm gonna pray out loud and then we're just gonna spend some time in quiet and anyone and everyone can come forward and receive prayer here in the front and there's also some prayer partners up in the balcony as well. If you don't wanna do that, that's okay. We're just gonna spend a little bit of time in quiet before the Lord. Invite you to just kinda meditate and reflect and think and just pray your own prayer of healing uh, to the Lord and that's, that's okay too. Um, But we're going to take some time to pray for one another. And then after that, Melissa and the team are going to come back up and close us with a song. So let's do this. I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. Prayer partners, if you would stand and come forward. And I'm going to pray and then invite you to come forward and receive prayer if you'd like to. God, we come before you now in faith. And we say that you are our good shepherd. and we shall not want. You make us lie down, sprawl out in green pastures. You lead us beside quiet waters. You restore our soul. You lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, and even certainly, inevitably, we will walk through the valley of death's dark shadow. But we will fear no evil, for you are with us. Your rod and your staff they comfort us. God, in these next just brief moments, may we be the comfort and grace to one another that you have been to us. God, as you pour your grace into our lives, may we pour grace out onto one another. And even as we pray for one another, God, would you supernaturally just empower us and give us even words as we pray that are your words, that are your healing grace, that are your goodness, that are your embrace and your arms around us. grateful, God, today that we are the sheep of your pasture. In Christ's name, amen. At any point, you can just stand and come forward and receive prayer uh, up here, down here, and then in a moment... Uh, Melissa will come up and the team will close us.